This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, and on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Andy McNamara with you until 1 o'clock. You can follow us on Twitter, at TSN 1050 Radio, at AndyMC81. DJ Keith Bauer behind the glass for a third straight day. Dropping more tunes, a little snoop. You're, you're, you're keeping it fresh there, Keith. I like it. I, there wasn't much rhyme or reason behind this, except that it, it is like still it. very hot outside. It Not is that hot. I'm complaining, but uh, I think we'll all have a little sense of relief once this heat wave wraps up, uh, allegedly tomorrow. Yes, I think it's supposed to break at some point tonight. After last summer and this winter, so like a whole year of it being cold, I'm never, I've decided I'm never complaining about the heat. It'll be 50 degrees, and I'll happily smile and sweat like an idiot. Totally fine with it. Hate the cold. But good tune there, Keith. Big show today. We'll talk some Maple Leafs. We'll talk some Raptors, some Blue Jays. Leo Routon's at 11.20, TSN Raptors analyst. Want to really try to dig down and figure out what LeBron James leaving the Eastern Conference to L.A. means to the Raptors specifically. We know it opens up the whole Eastern Conference. It's wide open now. Fringe teams could become... Lower seed, playoff clubs, and now there's not the one dominant force and excuse built in of, oh, well, we just got to avoid LeBron. Now who do you have to avoid? Well, the Celtics are pretty damn good, but they're not LeBron. You have very good teams, but they're not LeBron. There's not that Superman who you could not defeat. There's not that excuse. So what does it mean for the Raptors, and what can they do? They're not going to be building their own super team in the sense where you're going to be bringing in a Kawhi Leonard, for example, or something like that. So what can the Raptors do coming off of the top seed, 59-win season, coach of the year now gone, Nick Nurse taking over, that regular season, how do you parlay that into playoff success now that LeBron is gone? We'll break that down with Leo Routens at 11-20, Richard Griffin of the Toronto Star, terrific baseball columnist. Uh, see if we can get an update on Marco Estrada on the hip. And trade bait. This is where we're at, folks. We're at trade bait for the Blue Jays. We are waiting for the MLB trade deadline. Who are they going to ship off? What can they get? Because if Estrada's hip is a lingering issue, we know Josh Donaldson couldn't sell any lower than if you did it right now. The only piece where you can get notable return is J-Hap. Someone's going to want J-Hap. And someone's going to pay a good price for J-Hap. But now we get into what are the Blue Jays looking to do? Are they going to be in really that phase that they were from, what, 96 to 2015 of just... Meh, just hanging around, middle of the division, just really nothing? Or are you going to truly try to do a full rebuild? Now, to me, the clock starts ticking on this Blue Jays front office, on Shapiro, on Atkins. This was always Anthopolis' team. 
This was built, and they just kind of tinkered poorly in general with what they thought this was. So now you now you get to rebuild it in your own image. Are they going to do that though? Are they going to do a teardown? To me, you have to. This is it's it's done. The veterans are old. You're nowhere close to contending. It is over, which is fine. Okay, if I think for Blue Jays fans, if you set out a plan, okay, everybody, look. We're going to be young, exciting youth. We're going to have this. We're going to be building to contend with the Yankees and the Red Sox. We want sustained success. I think the fan base, while being disappointed and not being able to have the playoff bursts that we've had the last couple of years, that's disappointing. But if you have a plan to compete with the big dogs, you'd be fine with that. I, don't, I would. Would you be fine if the Jays said, all right, we're tearing this sucker down, but man, we're going to be good. We're going to get young. We're going to get prospects. We're going to build. And in a couple years, we are going to be going for it. You, the plan has to be to compete with the Yankees and Red Sox. That has to be the plan. And not just lip service. Because what? The front office this year? Oh, yeah, we got uh, Granderson. Okay. And your plan was to do what now? It was to compete for a wild card spot? And then you act surprised when some injuries pop up? You're an old, slow team that's injury prone it's not surprising at all but if you are able to lay out that plan and say okay yankees red sox we're coming for you we're in a big market let's go then i think the fan base can buy in and you can then grow with the team similar to what the club did back in the early 80s Right When they came in and had that run of success really from 84-85, winning that pennant in 85, all the way through to the World Series years ending in 93. That whole chunk, that's a good eight, nine-year chunk of being contenders. But they built with youth, they had people come up together, and then you pop the big free agent when it makes sense and go for it. That's what this team has to start doing. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is not coming right now. But when he does, it's going to be fun. So what can the Blue Jays do? What should they do? And what can the plan be? Richard Griffin at 12 o'clock. Mike Kelly, TSN and NHL Network, NHL statistical analyst. Had him on the TSN Hockey Analytics Show earlier in the year. Great breakdown. And I want to get down into it with him. What are the underlying numbers with Tavares coming to the Maple Leafs? Where we know, hey, we know it's exciting, but what does it mean? What should the lineup look like at this point? Still time to do tinkering, of course. And where do they line up when you kind of look at now? Okay, we're all in Tavares heaven here, right? We're all excited about the new world order of Leafs hockey, but what does it mean for the Maple Leafs competing and really now looking to take that next step to be a champ, to get to the finals, to be true contenders? 1220 uh, with Mike Kelly. We'll also talk some UFC. Matt Florjancic from NBC Sports in Cleveland. He's flying down to Vegas for Stipe Miocic, who's defending the UFC heavyweight crown in a super fight with Daniel Cormier, who disposed of the entire light heavy division. And Stipe has the longest reigning UFC heavyweight run in company history. And he's also still, he also still keeps his day job as a firefighter. How about that for Stipe? Guy's rich, champ. He's just still a, still a firefighter on the side. So Matt's going to be going down to Vegas, so we'll 
tee up that super card, which will be Saturday. Prelims you can catch on TSN. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll really swing around and, and see what's uh, what's going on. Uh, Joey Chestnut, by the way, folks, repeated as the Nathan's hot dog eating champ. Uh, I believe a eleventh title for Joey Chestnut. Ate over seventy hot dogs yesterday. That's the big sporting event on the Fourth of July. Man, seventy plus hot dogs for Joey Chestnut. <laughs> yeah. Now I I'm I'm not a a a. a, a Purging eater. I, I can't chug a lot of stuff and, and, and get. <laughs> Just by looking at me, you could probably tell that. Although Joey Chestnut's thin, right? It's funny. The larger guys don't win those contests. Joey Chestnut is, is thin and he keeps eating those. Keith, anything you can eat, man? Can you. Uh... I'll, 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 I'll keep I stuff some food into my yeah. mouth. <laughs> no, I was thinking about this on the drive-in when we had our uh, update anchor, John Whaley, come on air and uh, attempt to eat two peanut butter sandwiches. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think I could have a good go at watermelon. Uh, when I was a kid, I... Oh, that's there was just a, water, pretty much. Okay, but well, th- there's still mm. some kind of food. Anyways, as a kid, I was able to put away, like, a full watermelon, so I think, sure I, could, a contest. I, I think I could do quite well with that. So Keith says watermelon. He could be a champ at that. Joe Narsa, our esteemed producer. Joe, what, what could you pack down, do you think? I could... Absolutely muck chicken wings. Like if Ooh. you put, I think I could do some damage in a chicken wing eating competition. Really? Yeah. And also, like spicy food doesn't bother me. So if you really want to punch me in the face, oh. I'll go down. Like let's do this. Joe, I told the story yesterday for TSN ten fifty. I hosted a, a a function at Real Sports down by the ACC, and there was I had I did pl- live play by play of a chicken wing eating, eating contest, and one wing on each person's plate was like the super suicide one, and people were like panicking of which one. So if that was the case for you, you'd no problem. You'd be able to do it. Yes, yeah, so you got to start with that wing. Well, you don't know where it is. It's all blended in. That was the trick. Oh, okay. It was the the, the the trick one, and then the guy dipped to avoid that. Dipped his wings in in uh, uh, water. To kind of get it off. No, that makes it worse. Well, he did that, but then he was bet by friends and then chugged the water for $20. Disgusting. Yes. I he was also second, tanked. I ate the second hottest wings at All Stars, and those things are insane. Ooh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> really? So there's no... That, that doesn't bother you. You can do wings. Absolutely. I okay. could crush pizza and pizza as well, but like wings, like I could just go to town. I think I could do some damage a la Joey Chestnut. I think the only one I could do is pizza or something like it. One time in Florida, they brought out, it was, it was a, a calzone. I said the, the giant calzone was on the menu. And the waitress looked at me like, are you sure? I said, yeah. And they brought it out and people were just, oh no. And I, I got in, I dug, and I had the meat sweats, Joe. I was just sweat, but I was going. And it was... My, at the time, fiance, now wife's uncle. And we were talking, just, just met him. And at the end, he's like, I respect you, man. And I just chugged that giant pizza-sized calzone. Didn't end well after, but, you know, it was all good. And she still married you after knowing that hey, you man. ate a gigantic calzone? <laughs> I impressed the family. Well done. Right? Impressed the family. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. <laughs> Keith, what's the Stephen A. Smith one from yesterday? <laughs> Grow up! We're <laughs> just <laughs> going after Boogie Cousins. Oh boy. Okay, so our Twitter poll question at TSN1050 Radio at AndyMC81 is what's been the biggest surprise for you in Toronto sports this summer? Biggest surprise? Is it John Tavares signing with the Leafs? You thought, well, 
maybe, but you didn't really think it would happen. And then it did, and it blew your mind. Was it LeBron plus L.A. equals Raps being a contender? So LeBron leaving Cleveland, going to the Lakers, and then that immediately opens things up for the Raptors. Or is it the Blue Jays all of a sudden becoming totally irrelevant? Toast of the town the last few years. Now, nothing. Not in a wild card race. Nothing interesting. Vladdy Guerrero is not coming. Nothing is going on irrelevant. Is that the biggest surprise for you after them being the story for the last few years? Or is it TFC struggling? Champs last year, not in a playoff position right now. You can vote at TSN 1050 Radio at AndyMC81. I'm going with Tavares signing with the Leafs. And not that it wasn't necessarily out of left field. Because we knew it was a possibility, much like... Mike Babcock signing with the Leafs was also a possibility. But as a damaged Leafs fan, not used to having nice things in both those cases, you just didn't think it would happen. You didn't think with Toronto you'd win the lottery pick. Something would happen and you wouldn't get it because we don't get nice things. Well, it did happen. We got Babcock, got the first pick, got Matthews, and now you have John Tavares. So that's surprised that good things continue to happen for the Leafs. That's where I'm at. Let's go around the room here. Uh, Keith Bauer, what's the most surprising Toronto event to you in sports this summer? Tavares, uh, Raps being contenders because of LeBron, Blue Jays irrelevant, or TFC struggling? I think it's a pretty obvious answer, to be honest. Like it's It's got to be Tavares, but just for the sake of conversation, I'm going to go with TFC, I think, mm. with the way, I mean, the way they lost in the MLS Cup two seasons ago, the way they won last season. Yeah. There was really no reason to believe they were going to take this far of a step back, step back especially with as, considering as, um, as far as they won at the CONCACAF Championship uh, earlier this season. So I just think game after game, you're waiting for them to just find that form that they've had the last couple seasons. And last night's a perfect example. Their back line is just brutal and they're falling behind early in games and it's been tough to recover. I think that might be something that would usurp, let's say, the Blue Jays being irrelevant. Because if you were a realist, I saw this coming. Okay, this was well. The, 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 the team looked looked terrible, and I mean they were irrelevant for most of last summer as well. Yeah. So I don't think that was much of a but shock. They, they were the way management was. Oh, we're going to be content for a wild card spot. No, so irrelevant. Um, Keith says TFC. Joe, what's the most surprising to you? I would say surprising for sure is Tavares signing with the Leafs. But my sec, like very close second for me, is the Raptors being a contender again because I felt like. Not just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was, well, you know, we fired Dwayne Casey. This team needs to rebuild. Mm-hmm. These stars can't do it. Kate Lowry and DeRozan aren't the guys. And now, after five minutes of LeBron James being a Los Angeles Laker, which I think is a surprise in its own right. That it actually happened, yeah. I just think, he, I thought his ego wouldn't allow him to be like the fourth best player to ever play for a franchise. That's the thing. And, and the word, Joe, is part of it is he's planning for his post-basketball career. He has a home there. He has studio work there. He's doing shows. That show, The Wall, right? who I'm thinking was probably going to get a new host, um, is going to be part of his post-basketball life. So that, that, I guess, makes sense. But you're right. Like If LeBron's about legacy, you're probably not catching Jordan ring-wise. No. So I wonder if, if LeBron wins another title with a third different team as the guy leading that, you got to consider that almost on par, I would think, with, with Jordan. Like to, to, do, to take three different teams, build them up, and be the guy to win it is pretty unique. It is unique, but I don't think it's equivalent mm. to. I don't think he has the ability of being equivalent because his finals record proves that it's not equivalent. 
The fact that Jordan never played in a game seven makes it again not equivalent. The fact that LeBron needs to fi- like needs to find four superstars to play with him for him to even have a chance to beat Golden State and a chance to even get to the finals doesn't make it equivalent. But Jordan had a stacked team too. That was drafted and traded for. Like he didn't go yeah. out and pitch them like, yo, let's go on a banana boat, we'll all hang out and then we'll play together in this city, whichever one we want to pick for this year. <laughs> Well, but, yeah, which, yeah, exactly, whichever but, one you want to pick. But back to it, it's insane to me that after just five minutes of LeBron being a Laker, it's all about the Raptors having to go for it. Now this is in a win-now situation. Are they the second-best team in the East? What are we going to see out of Boston? Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty impressive and a pretty big surprise considering it seemed like they were about to hit a rebuild in about a year. And now you can't. You absolutely can if you're the Raptors now. You cannot do that. With this window opening, we'll get to some of your tweets. We've got some good tweets to the poll question. Uh, we'll get to those, and you can vote at TSN 1050 Radio at Andy MCD1. Biggest surprise so far in Toronto sports this summer. After the break, we will talk Raptors. What can they do to truly become contenders, not regular season, but contenders to get to the finals in the Eastern Conference with Leo Routens, our TSN Raptors analyst? That's next on Toronto Today. On the line now. Leo Routens, one of the best in the business, our TSN Raptors analyst. Leo, pleasure to have you on again, man. How are you? I'm great, Andy. How's your summer going? It's going very well. Very, man, exciting. Like this, when the news happened, LeBron James came, and we knew it was a possibility that he was going to leave the East. But when it happened, after you got over that shock, then it was, wow, the East just became really interesting, Leo. I think like everyone's talking about the West, but the the, the potential for actual competitive balance in the Eastern Conference has arrived. Like, how did you feel when LeBron went, and what do you think that means to the East? Well, uh, certainly, you know, for all Raptor fans, that's relief. Uh, yeah. For whatever reason, you know, LeBron James was was somebody nobody, nobody, and the Raptors just couldn't deal with. So uh, it really does open everything up in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, you're going to hear, it's going to be a lot like last year. You're going to hear about Boston and you're going to hear about Philadelphia. You're not going to hear a lot about Toronto. Uh, and last year the Raptors finished first. And if not for Cleveland, it would have been, you know, I, I think a great playoff series uh, against any of those other teams. So, you know, the Raptors are going to be in that position again where, you know, they have an excellent team. I'm sure Masai is going to do some tweaking between now and uh, the season and even during the season. But, you know, they have a great opportunity to, to make some noise just like last year and, and maybe even go even further. So, Leo, with Nick Nurse taking over, it's a new-ish voice, but it's still somebody familiar to the players. And with the success they've had, is that a benefit? Because you're not truly getting a new set of ideas that none of these players have, have heard or anything, but Nurse steps up, but you're still being able to get, keep that continuity, which can be important. Is that a, a, a plus or, or a minus to you? No, I think the continuity is, is very important, and you know it, it eliminates the learning curve. I mean, if you yeah. bring in somebody that's totally unfamiliar with the situation, uh, there's a learning curve as far as relationships, who does what, you know, who's comfortable with what, and so forth. And you know, when people say with Nick, well, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It really isn't. Uh, you got to remember, Dwayne Casey was still the head coach, and as long mm-hmm. as the head coach is is there, he's going to dictate what happens, how much he's going to allow you to do. Uh, and from talking to people within the organization, they feel that with Nick Nurse, they're going to get a lot more in-depth as far as the offense goes. They're going to be uh, just really expand a lot of things that they're trying to do offensively. Um, and, and so he had, he had limitations as far as how far he could go as an assistant coach. And I, I think he's got great relationships with the players. He understands 
you know, what everybody's strength is, and he's going to use that to his advantage. So, uh, you know, I, I, obviously Dwayne Casey did an amazing job, and uh, replacing him is going to be very, very difficult. But I think Nick's in a good position uh, to step forward for this organization. And, Leo, with LeBron gone, not that the organization was using it as an excuse, but the fan base and underlying, you could use that. Hey, nobody beats LeBron. He always gets there, so it's just to try to avoid him for as long as possible. Now that's gone, what does that do to expectations for this team going into this season with LeBron gone? And, again, you have very good teams, but there's not that LeBron factor anymore. Yeah, I still think people are going to, you know, not give the Raptors enough credit and they're going to go under the radar a little bit, which to me is just fine. If you want to sleep on this team, uh, that's okay. There's less pressure going into the season. Everybody's going to be talking about the Boston Celtics getting Kyrie and Hayward back and, you know, who knows what they're going to do as far as moves on with any of those guys uh, going forward. And then Philadelphia, you know, they've lost a few guys, but they've also reloaded a little bit. It's still, you know, your stars are still young. Uh, Washington has made some moves in Milwaukee. So, you know, the East is going to be pretty balanced. At least the top half of the East is going to be pretty balanced. It's going to be very competitive. Uh, but, again, I think a lot of people are going to sleep on the Raptors. And, and you know, they're, they're a very good team. They're first, first place in the Eastern Conference. And just the fact that, you know, I don't even look at it as an excuse. It's just a reality. I mean, I, the last player, the last team I wanted to see was Cleveland. And this is from the beginning of the year when everybody was talking about, hey, Cleveland's in chaos, Cleveland's this, Cleveland's that. I don't care what anybody was saying. I did not want to see LeBron or Cleveland in the playoffs. And unfortunately, the Raptors had him second round. So mm-hmm. uh, had they not, I, I, regardless of who they played, I was pretty confident they could have gone to the Eastern Conference Finals. So uh, now they're going to have that opportunity. So the uh, big question is you know, how they tweak and, and staying healthy. That's always a big one. In conversation with Leo Routens, our TSN Raptors analyst on Twitter, at Leo Routens. So, Leo, that's where I wanted to go next. What do the Raptors do? Because we know they're not in a position to go super team, right? Kawhi Leonard's not coming. You're not building a Golden State or, or whatever situation here. Raptors are built more like a complete team. So what do you feel they have to do? And if you want to say specific players, good. If, if not, just, just areas where they can take a noticeable step forward. Because Masai Ujiri also said, everybody's available. I just worry if you move out a JV or a Lowry, like what can you get back really that's going to push you over that hump and get you further in the playoffs than we've been before? Well, that's a great point, you know, because you hear a lot of people say, okay, you know, move, you know, move DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, for what? Well, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, you can, you can talk about, you know, the playoffs and, and really think about it. His, his setback in the playoffs really was against LeBron and, and the Cavaliers. Against everybody else, he was fine. So uh, now that he's out of the picture, I mean, what, what you get with DeMar DeRozan, and I think a lot of people don't under, really understand or give it enough credit. He's a durable 82-game guy. He's hardly missed any games in his career. He's there night in and night out. And you can talk all the playoffs you want, but you have to get there. And he's a guy that gets you there. And, again, outside of LeBron, he's had success in the postseason as well, too. So uh, to just say, okay, we're going to try to move a guy like that, careful what you ask for because I don't know if they can get an equal value in return. Um, And and I, I also think... It's a good idea to see what you have with Nick Nurse uh, right now as far as working with these guys offensively and what they're going to try to do. 
it, it is a different voice. It'll be a distinctly different uh, voice than Dwayne Casey. So before you want to necessarily make wholesale changes, like that's why I keep using the word tweak. You kind of know some things, and, and maybe maybe where it's possible to tweak you here or there you do. But before you do anything drastic, I think you really want to see where you know the change with Nick Nurse is going to take you. Uh, you know, see who can buy in, see who can evolve with what he's trying to do, and see if it makes a difference with any of the guys that you currently have. Uh, I also think, you know, with the premium on shooting and as much as, uh, you know, the Raptors want to open things up, move the ball and shoot, you know, anytime you get your hands on shooters is a good thing. So I'm sure Masai and company will be, you know, doing their part to, to, to see who they can uh, dig up as, as this goes along. So maybe what we're going to see, Leo, is minor off-season tweaks and then Masai really see through that first chunk of the year where they're at and make trades closer to the deadline and as the season goes on maybe that's the route they go because as you said it's important to see what nick nurse is able to get out of these guys maybe there's players who you were expecting more who who come out of their shell or or do produce more or vice versa and then you look to make changes that way i i i agree with that i mean like i said there's a lot of times uh and, and you know when when people are saying, like I said, it's it's the same voice. It's not the same voice, mm-hmm. right? And, and no disrespect to Dwayne Casey, but uh, Nick Nurse is an entirely different different coach. And you want to see what what happens. You want to see how that plays out. You want to see who responds in what way. And and if you look at Masai, you know, throughout his tenure with the Toronto Raptors, uh, both he and Bobby Webster, uh, you know, they they wait. Uh, they they look. They let things play out. They evaluate. Uh, they, there's nothing knee-jerk about how they go about their business. And I, I think that's important because too much of this league, um, you know, it's just quick changes. And, and you pull the plug on things before you really know uh, really know where it can go. And I, I think it's important to remember, you're looking at, this is the first-place team in the Eastern Conference last year. Uh, and you could talk about anybody else you want, but, you know, they were first and they and they did it. Uh, soundly, they played extremely well, and it wasn't a question as to uh, where they finished. So uh, you don't want to just look at that and discard it lightly. I think there's a lot of good here. In conversation with Leo Routens, TSN Raptors analyst on Twitter, at Leo Routens. So, Leo, let's go to big picture here, to the West. LeBron goes to the Lakers. Boogie Cousins goes to Golden State. People freaking out over that, even though he's not going to play until January or February with that Achilles. From the super teams talk, like I've gone back and forth on this, Leo, but to me it seems like this. They're all operating in the rules. There's nothing shady going on. They're, they're taking advantage of what opportunities the league allows. And that it's almost like a jealousy thing. If the Raptors had a super team like Golden State, Raptors fans would be thrilled. You wouldn't be complaining. It comes, to me, it comes down a little bit to, to jealousy of the haves and the have nots. You'd like there to be more parity, but if there isn't, like, nobody's doing anything really wrong right like the league's allowing this yeah there's nothing wrong at all and and you know if if people want to sit there and jump on golden state just stop and take a deep breath because this is a team that was horrible yes and what they did was they drafted properly uh they took chances hey they took a chance on steph curry uh they gave clay thompson an opportunity to develop anybody in the league could have had draymond green they took him in the second round and so if you look at how they've done this they made a big coaching change. They had success, and they made a coaching change even with success and brought in Steve Kerr because they needed a different voice. They needed something else, a different direction. So 
you know, they, they took a lot of chances. They made a lot of bold moves. They found people that other people overlooked. And even on this whole cousin situation, I mean, hey, the rich get richer for one reason. If you do it right, people come to you. And Boogie Cousins, I mean, 29 other teams in the league could have taken a shot. Nobody did. Nobody took a yep. shot. And, and now, here's the thing, and I think this is also important to understand, that not every team can absorb a Cousins. If you look at New Orleans, for, for you know, you could, you could say that they played better without him after he got hurt. He's got a very difficult personality uh, and, 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 and demeanor to deal with on the floor, off the floor. And unless you have a great team with powerful players in terms of position and influence and, and stay on the floor and a coach that's going to be respected, like if Steve Kerr has Cousins on the floor and he doesn't like what he sees, he's going to sit him down. He's not going to worry about the reaction to that. And that's not the case on every team. And most, you know, the great teams do a lot of self-policing because they don't let anybody interfere in what they're trying to accomplish. So you can you can experiment with the Cousins. You're not going to know what he can do till January or February. You can experiment with him because it's a minimal risk. $5 million in the NBA is nothing. But, you know, in defense of some other teams that didn't roll it out, they're scared of him. They're scared <laughs> of his personality. And, and like I said, unless you have a team that can absorb that type of personality and you can count them on two, three fingers, uh, it's a big risk. Yeah, Leo, very similar, I think, to what the Patriots are able to do in the NFL, right? You see them take in problem or character issue guys all the time, and what fixes that is the culture of winning. And if you want to win a title, you have to fall in line. And and you're right, there's very few teams really in any sport that can take on personality figures like that. So for Golden State, they've to me, they've earned it. Like I, I'm jealous as a Raptors fan, but they've they've done it, they've built, and and right now they're reaping the rewards. Yeah, and and like I said, I uh, you know any teams could have when you look at a roster other than Kevin Durant who made a choice to come there, right. and now not not that I fully agree with him doing that for the simple reason that you know uh, he should have beaten Golden State and he lost to them in the playoffs before he joined them. To me, that's that's kind of a uh, in my, I'm from an era where great players didn't do that. You know, Magic right. didn't want to play with Bird; he wanted to beat Bird, and and that that was a different type of mentality. So. I'm not 100% keen on him joining them, but it's his prerogative. He's a free agent. He can do whatever he wants. But as far as the entire roster goes, they've just done a phenomenal job of building. So, you know, if, if people are jealous, instead of getting jealous, get mad at your own organization yeah. for not, not trying to do things the right way. And uh, and if you look at when San Antonio built their, their championship teams, they had second-rounders, and they had undrafted players that anybody in the league could have had, but that they didn't have the foresight to find those players. You know, I used to say this for years on the broadcast that if I was a competing GM in the NBA, I'd just sit outside San Antonio's training camp and whoever they get rid of, i get my hands on them because <laughs> they did such a great job on scouting and developing and finding players. Uh, that was a big part of their success. So, uh, and Gold State's kind of doing the same thing. Leo, thank you so much for taking the time. Enjoy uh, today, the weekend, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds great, Andy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Leo Routens. One of the best in the biz, baby. Leo Routens, TSN Raptors analyst on Twitter, at Leo Routens. I'm with them. Listen, I, I, do I want the Raptors to be able to, to win? Do, well, do I want them to have a super team? Yes, it is jealousy. And Leo brings up a great point. This isn't just a team, the Golden State Warriors, who just said one day, all right, 
we got nothing. We're going to just pluck every single great free agent and build the team. It's been a while. They've grown. They've developed. They've drafted. And then you add the pieces. You blame the Golden State Warriors when Kevin Durant said, hey, can't beat them, join them? No. What if it was the Raptors? And Kevin Durant's like, hey, man, I can't beat you guys. I'm coming. We're going to say, no. No, that's okay. We want to do it another. No. You take it. And the Warriors had to do that in response to LeBron James. They needed that one extra bit, that fourth megastar, to beat one guy. And they did it. And now they're pretty much unstoppable. And you add DeMarcus Cousins, and when he gets in there, at some point, it'll be the first starting five to have all all All-Stars in the NBA since 1975. Since the Celtics. It's the super team. And Leo's right again in that, when you're winning, a lot easier to attract people. Right? Golden State isn't L.A. It's not New York. It's not a, a me- you know, you're not in a, a major, major center. If you didn't have the stars and you weren't winning, they were terrible for years. They're going to draw nobody. You draft, you develop, and then you do it. And they are. Good thing for the Raptors, though. LeBron's out of the East, and now you can make your move. So we'll have to see what they do. I, 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 I think it's, it is going to be a case where we're not going to see too much in this offseason and deals and Masai pulling the trigger during the year once we see how people respond to Nick Nurse. We're going to step aside, talk some UFC. Ronda Rousey going into the UFC Hall of Fame. Super fight, UFC 226 goes this Saturday from Vegas. He'll be on his way to Vegas. And Matt Florjansic from NBC Sports is up next here on Toronto Today. Frank Saravelli announcing, tweeting, that Montreal Canadiens have announced Shea Weber will miss five to six months after undergoing surgery in Colorado to repair a torn meniscus in his right knee. Yeah. How you like PK now, Habs fans, huh? How about that? Oh, and the Leafs got Tavares. Sorry. Yeah. Nothing against Shea Weber, but anything still that happens to the Canadians, I kind of like it. Sorry. Sorry. You got your, what, 28, 25, uh, whatever, Stanley Cups? Yeah. You can chew on those. Habs stink. And the Leafs got Tavares. Yeah. Love it. Anyway, yeah, so they'll be without uh, Shea Weber. That just coming down the pipe, Frank Saravelli. On Twitter, you can get that at Frank underscore Saravelli. Check out tsn.ca for updates as that story develops. Right now, though, let's talk a little UFC. Ronda Rousey going into the Hall of Fame. A huge super fight in the heavyweight division for the title out of Las Vegas at UFC 226. My buddy from NBC Sports WKYC in Cleveland, Matt Florjancic. Matty, how's it going, bud? It's going well, Andy. How about you? Doing well, and uh, thanks for taking the time. I know you're flying out to Vegas for the event tomorrow to get ready. So before we get into the the super fight, Ronda Rousey into the Hall of Fame. This has become a little bit of a controversial issue. People wondering if it's the right time, if she should be going in, if it's done just for hype. Where do you come out? Should Ronda be in the UFC Hall of Fame? Uh, when you look at her statistics and what she did inside the octagon, minus the last two fights of her career, yeah, she absolutely had a Hall of Fame career. Uh, she was by far one of their most popular fighters, definitely the most popular female fighter 
in the UFC's history. And she came into an organization that really was against women fighting. Dana White, the mm-hmm. president of the UFC, at one point in time said, we will never have a woman fight in the UFC as long as I'm here. And she single-handedly turned that uh, notion on its ear. And she absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Is it too soon? Yeah, I think so. But there's no guidelines for you have to wait five years after you're uh, retired before you get into the Hall of Fame. The UFC doesn't have that. They put in a ton of, of... even close to active fighters and and what have you. So not surprised by it. It's a nice gesture on their part, but it's also a little self-serving in the fact that she brings attention. Let's face it. Ronda draws a crowd and they want all the crowds that they can get by putting her in the hall of fame. And that's exactly what they're doing. And you know, she does deserve it. It's a, it's a well-earned honor and, She's going to take her rightful place among some of the greats in UFC history and some of the people that helped build that brand into what it is today, which was a $4 billion company when it sold. Exactly. And you can't discount the eyes and the money that she brought to the organization. That's all a part of it. One of the most. And the thing with when you get into boxing and mixed martial arts, if you're of a certain tier, a certain level. You're just not famous in the U.S. You're famous around the world. These are world sports. And Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, they kind of were on their rise at the same time, became international superstars. And that's the difference out of the North American-centric sports. They were international. Ronda Rousey, you can go anywhere in the world, and people know where she is. And now she's in WWE uh, wrestling, and, and that just goes to, to helping her brand, right? Absolutely, it does. I mean, she's still, even though she lost her last few fights in in fairly convincing fashion, she's the most recognizable name in women's mixed martial arts history. And it's going to take one heck of a run by somebody uh, else to take that throne from her. Uh, She's extremely marketable outside of mixed martial arts, too. She's in WWE right now. She does movies. And with big-name stars, I mean, she's not doing you know, run-of-the-mill movies. She's right. in with the likes of Stallone and, you know, the action genre with like Jason Statham and what have you. And she is far and away one of the most recognizable stars in UFC history. Uh, her and McGregor both have made quite the, uh, quite the lives for themselves, and they deserve what they get. If they, you know, are willing to put in the work and, you know, they draw the eyeballs to pay-per-views because literally that's what it's all about is sure. the ability to sell pay-per-views. Uh, you know, they, then they've done what they could for that company and they've made that company, you know, what it is today, which is the, the foremost, uh, MMA organization and also, uh, probably the foremost combat sports organization in the world. In conversation with NBC Sports Cleveland MMA reporter Matt Florjancic, who's going to be on his way to Vegas for the Super Fight UFC 226. You can catch the prelims here on TSN and get all the coverage on TSN.ca on Twitter at Matt Florjancic. So, Matt, uh, one of the reasons you're going down there is because Stipe Miocic, the UFC heavyweight champ, is a Cleveland native. He's the record holder for consecutive defenses of the heavyweight title. That seems some phenomenal names over the history of the UFC, and he's still a little bit under the radar to the general uh, populace. Tell us a little bit about Stipe Miocic, because he is a unique story in that 
he still has a day job as a firefighter, right? The, he's an incredible story, and it's really a, it's only and you know because of your love of the Browns that it's only a story a Cleveland boy could tell. You know, the son of Croatian uh, immigrants, he you know wanted to make his family proud, and he went to get a, a degree to be a firefighter and a paramedic, and he happened to go to the gym one day while he was working on his degree to help uh, a guy. Uh, spar and he never left the gym, hmm. but he also never left the firehouse either. He still fights fires and goes on rescue calls with the with the ambulance uh, every chance he gets. He's he works pretty much right up until he leaves for fight week, and that's crazy. You know, he's just a he's a, a true hardworking blue collar Midwestern boy. If there if there ever was one, I mean, he is the embodiment of that. This guy works his tail off inside the octagon, outside the octagon. He's always on the go. He just has that that hardworking blue collar mentality, and you know he credits his mom Kathy with with instilling it in him uh, from a young age. You know you got to work for what you want. If you want something to go work for it, don't expect it to be handed to you. And that's exactly what he does. He goes out, he puts in a good day's work uh, every chance he gets, and you know he rose through the heavyweight ranks and. Some things broke his way in terms of, you know, being able to finish some really well-respected fighters uh, quickly in his bouts, and that ultimately led to him getting a title shot. And we all know what he's done since May of 2016, and that's pretty much clean out a heavyweight division that had some pretty impressive names on it and some guys who will be eventually in the UFC Hall of Fame. Exactly, and he squares off against Daniel Cormier, UFC light heavyweight champ, so super fight, main event of UFC 226 this Saturday night on pay-per-view, 10 o'clock Eastern. And for Cormier, used to fight heavyweight in various promotions, didn't go to the heavyweight division because of a a personal friendship with, uh, I believe it was Cain Velasquez, in the UFC, And so now you have a guy who has been a heavyweight, so it's champion versus champion. When we look at Cormier versus Miocic, what should we expect out of this fight, Matt? Cormier is going to try to take it to the ground. He's a Matt-based wrestler. He's an Olympic-level wrestler with some fantastic ground and pound, loves to throw elbows, loves to throw uh, his fists once he has an opponent on his back. Uh, Stipe himself is no slouch when it comes to wrestling. He dominated the fight with Francis, uh, Francis Ngannou uh, in January using his wrestling skills. Uh, Stipe is, was a national tournament qualifier when he was wrestling for Cleveland State, so he, he's adept at the ground game as well. Uh, he's a much, much more respected striker uh, than he is a wrestler. But uh, he's got hands like that can knock pretty much anybody out. I mean, this is a guy who is backing up from a pursuing Fabrizio Verdum, and with no momentum going forward and everything going backwards, he threw a knockout punch. That's happened maybe four times in UFC history where a guy was backing up and landed a knockout punch. It's very rare. So he's, he's we joke with him sometimes, but he's got sticks of dynamite in his hands, and he'll Man. put you on your back if you're not careful. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, on TSN 2, you can catch the undercard at 8 p.m. Eastern as well. So, Matt, for your, your prediction here, Stipe versus Daniel Cormier, and uh, really for, for Miocic on the line is to continue that record defense 
uh, title that he has to to go along with the heavyweight division. And for Cormier, it's to be able to be a champ in two divisions, something that's very rare. This is the only bout left for Cormier that doesn't involve John Jones in mm. some sort of career validation. But Jones is out with suspensions yeah. for multiple failed tests, so he might not get another shot at John Jones. This is his opportunity, and he's going to bring it. He's going to come out you know, full steam ahead. He's not going to lay back and let the fight come to him. He's going to bring the fight. I, I still think, though, as this is the most confident I've been for Stipe heading into one of his title defenses. I think he will win the fight. I think it will be a finish. I think he will, he will win either TKO or knockout. I don't know what round, but I think Stipe finishes it off and continues his reign as a champ. I think Cormier moving up in weight while he's used to it. He hasn't fought at this weight class in almost five years. And him trying to take down a 245-pound man is a lot different than him trying to take down a 205-pound man. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, Matt, people can follow you on Twitter for live coverage from Vegas at Matt Florjancic and on Instagram as well, right? Yes, sir. Good. Uh, Matt, at Matt Flo Sports on Instagram and at Matt Florjancic on Twitter. boy. All right, Matt. Safe travels and look forward to your coverage. Talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Take care of yourself. All right, you too. Matt Florjancic. From NBC Sports Cleveland, MMA reporter headed to Las Vegas for UFC 226. So again, you can catch that on pay-per-view at 10 p.m. or the undercard, 8 o'clock on TSN2. That is going to be a fun battle between Miocic and Cormier in the super fight there. Still to come, Richard Griffin at the top of the hour. Blue Jays analyst, Toronto Star baseball columnist. What? should we expect out of the Blue Jays come the trade deadline? That's the next date. Leading up to it, are we talking fire sale here? Are we dumping everybody? What value can you get, especially if Estrada's hip is lingering? Josh Donaldson, what do we make of that? Do you hold on to him? Do you not? Do you let him walk? And Jay Happ, what could be the return? Who could be some of the potential trade partners? Mike Kelly from TSN and NHL Network at 1220. Following that, a lot more to come on Toronto Today.